You're listening to The Logbook, a production of the QAnon Logbook Publication. A podcast that shares the stories of the people in the QAnon, encouraging us all to embrace the outdoors in work and in play. I can recall many different times and places on Lake Superior where you know, I've gone out fishing just for fun and you know, you, you kind of know the weather's a little marginal, but mm-hmm. you go anyways and then all of a sudden you just get caught up in stuff. This episode is brought to you by the QNA Convention and Visitors Bureau. A lot of people have been wanting us to do some episodes or talk more about the history of the area and the historical industries mm-hmm. here, which we're totally interested in. And Definitely we love. can't ignore that because that's a huge part of the QNA. But they have really amazing articles that are written about the history of the area. And I think if you're interested in more about this history, I would definitely check out their website. So I feel like we've been setting this episode up for a while and we've gotten people messaging us about how we should interview Travis White and I'm really happy that we actually got something to happen. Yeah, since like um, early March, well late February because we were planning mm-hmm. for World Water Day. Right. We're just happy dude. that we could actually like fit or he could fit us in his like super bu- busy like charter season. So Travis is a super interesting guy, and we're really excited to have, uh, I don't know, recorded a conversation with him and gotten to know him a little bit more. And the craziest thing is we actually, which he said that this is not normal, but we actually didn't even end up catching a fish on his charter. But it was so much fun just sitting there and talking with him and his wife, Jane. Like, I feel like the time just, like, flew by. And it was really cold that day, too, because we went kind of earlier in May, which is still, like, pretty cold up here. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely a beautiful day. I I mean, you know, we get into this in the podcast. I've never caught a fish, so it was, like... (laughs) Which shocked (laughs) me. I could not believe that. I was kind of really looking forward to it, but it just means... She has her license now. Yeah, I did get my license before this trip, so... We got a picture of it. Licensed fish. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Which just means that we'll have to go out again later this summer so that I can catch a fish and really um Right. We'll get we'll catch a fish. <laughs> Don't worry. The girl's got her license now. She's legal. <laughs> She's ready to go. We're ready to go catch the fish. Um but it was super fun. And something that I really liked about Travis's philosophy with catching fish is I mean, he is obviously very much an expert when it comes to like fish behavior mm-hmm. and where to find fish in different seasons around the Keweenaw Peninsula. But he was like, even if you don't catch something that day, you're still getting like an amazing experience. And we got an amazing Mm -hmm. sunset. Like it was, yeah, it was just such a good, good trip. It was so fun. We went after work and got to like really see the shoreline, um, a lot of the Barriga Cliffs, which right. is, if, I feel like um, a decent amount of people probably haven't seen them from the water, mm-hmm. and they are so beautiful. And you, it's crazy how driving um, over that section of Forty One, you have no idea that you're. Mm-hmm. I mean, that road has gotten moved twice actually since it was first constructed Two, I, in that. the. I thought it was just once. Fifty. Some, some, Mm, yeah, that's I don't know some, when it was sometimes, but it's been moved <laughs> twice. Once in like I think the seventies, and then again in like. 2010. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah those houses. Yeah, that's like business. definitely makes me nervous. When we looked at the like the cliffs, you could see these houses that were probably like 
Mm, I want to say, I, like, maybe 15 to 20 feet away. Yeah, we were talking about, like, how bad it would be if you were a sleepwalker living in one of my oh houses. You just stroll out in the yard and right off the cliff. I so bad. You definitely need some sort of fencing system. But, like, did they, like, did not have fences, though. Yeah, no, none of those houses did. Not that we could see. No, so. I mean, maybe there was, like, one that had a fence. But think about that. Like, think about buying a house in... I don't know, like, let's say you've, it's been, like, inherited into your family, mm-hmm. and it used to have this, like, beautiful lawn that was, like, <laughs> leading up to this amazing cliff, and now it's, like, the cliff is, like, 10 feet away from your door. Like, that'd be so scary. It'd be so freaky. Anyway, it no was really beautiful, is. though. Even yeah, though, yeah. even though, like, I don't know if I would want a house that close to a cliff, <laughs> uh, it was really cool to see the cliffs from, yeah. from the water, which and, is, like, a whole other thing. Like, I don't oh, know. Yeah. Experiencing... The Keweenaw from a boat mm-hmm. or like just from, yeah, like experiencing the Keweenaw from a boat is just like a whole different thing. Let's see, how far back should I start? <laughs> so you're from the UP originally, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Where in the UP are you? Like, where are you born? Sure. Yeah, I was born in Sault Ste. Marie. Okay. So I uh, grew up there. Mom and dad are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, came up to tech and like... Probably around 2005 as a, you know, as a high school student, just looking at it. Sure. And um, got a scholarship there. So, you know, once that happened, it was like, okay, I'm going to tech. So I started there in 2007 for mechanical engineering. All right. So I graduated in 2011, mm-hmm. started working at uh, GS Engineering. So I was able to, you know, work as an engineer up here. And it was just the easiest decision ever. <laughs> you know, I had, yeah, I love the area. I fell in love with it during school. And uh, once I, yeah, once I had a job up here, it's like I didn't mm-hmm. have to move houses. I didn't have to, you know, change uh, anything. So right. and then once I was here, you know, once you're here and you're kind of getting, you know, once you're working and into the groove of things, mm-hmm. I mean, you realize there's opportunities, but you don't hear about a lot of that. Just right. as an outsider. You have to be here to be a part of the opportunities, right. which is actually kind of nice. Cause yeah, then it's, totally. it forces you to kind of get yourself immersed in the community as opposed to it being, um, I don't know. Out, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it could be difficult if you don't live here, obviously, but in a way, it's nice for the locals because they mm-hmm. get the opportunities. Yeah. Because yeah. they're the ones that are living here. Especially, like, with how small the area is. You know, if it was, yeah, if it was hard for the locals to get the opportunities, it'd be uh, kind of a sad state of things. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it is networking, too. So having a yeah. small community is, like, better mm-hmm. <laughs> right. for those in it, I suppose. Yeah, That's really. True. That's why I like it up here. Yeah, and many, that's, many yeah. reasons for sure. But same, you know, when I decided to stick around, that was a big part of it. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a small community. It's got great outdoors opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's got you know some great professional opportunities. Right. Was that a pretty like seamless transition for you when you graduated? Was it kind of like a man? I should go and move out west, or was <laughs> it? Because I mean, like personally, I I've experienced that where yeah. I was like, well, I'm done with school. Like, should I leave? And then I was like, wait feel like if I leave I'm just gonna be trying to find a place just mm-hmm. like here sure. and yeah I don't know if that was your experience too yeah a little bit you know I mean it's like it was one of those things where there were so many options at that point mm-hmm. you know and right I didn't have like a real strong calling from any one spot right so you know this area called just as strongly as anywhere I, I definitely like ruled out going to metropolitan areas. It's just, it right. didn't seem like the lifestyle I wanted to pursue. Right. So once you rule that out, it's like, well, we go west, we go out to the Pacific Northwest. I mean, there's 
areas that you, you've always wanted to explore, like from a recreational standpoint, right. whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, for your fishing hobby or your biking hobby or whatever. Right. So there was areas that called to me just from like what I thought they were like, but, you know, knowing what this area was like, you know, and as a student, really don't get to experience it um, the way you do once you live here, mm-hmm. you know, or once you're actually working here. So I'm glad I stayed because, you know, uh, my experience in this area was completely different after, you know, after I graduated right. and had time and money, and yeah. those, you know, it's <laughs> like, nice. yeah, <laughs> right. You can buy a boat, you can buy a, you know, whatever you pay yeah. for gas. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So what did your fishing look like? How did it evolve from like being in college mm-hmm. to having your job till now? Yeah. So that, that changed a lot because, you know, as a student, I didn't have like, I didn't have a boat. I didn't have like, you know, I didn't have the, uh, the place to put it and store it. I didn't have right. all the equipment. So, you know, in college, my fishing was mostly like ice fishing mm-hmm. and then kayak fishing, you know, or out of a canoe. So it was very, it was, you know, very enjoyable, but right. it was a uh, very small scale. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't off exploring all the parts of Lake Superior that I've seen since then. Um, and when I first started um, guiding and taking people out, that worked out great because I, I convinced my dad to let, you know, let me use his boat. So, and I started doing that in Sault Ste. Marie. So, um, you know, I use his boat and I take people out and kind of, you know, give him a little money for the boat payments. And uh, I got to, you know, have a little money for uh, spending and stuff. So right. I just kind of started doing that in college. It's like a, kind of like a summer job. So I might as well get paid. Might as well get paid to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so where you, you, you did that in high school, you said that yep. was like when you first started doing fishing, yeah. guiding. Yeah. As a guiding, um, you know, I started fishing when I was real young, you know, my dad started taking me out when I was probably like two or three, you know, and I just kind of grew up doing it and kind of mm-hmm. spending a lot of time on the water and it, it started pretty small scale. Like we weren't hardcore professional fishermen or anything, you know, mm-hmm. it was just very like humble beginnings and, right. uh, just because you, know. you, you like it. <laughs> yeah, just because I liked it. And somewhere around, like, somewhere around the time I was, you know, getting my driver's license. At that point, I'd already had, like, a boat operator's license. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think when I was 12, I got a boat operator's license. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just had that freedom of, like, oh, I'm going to take the boat out and go fishing. Right. You know, and Isn't it was... Isn't that crazy? You're 12 years old? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're just a 12-year-old. Well, when you're like, 12, you're like, obviously, I can drive this. Right. right. And now you look back and you're like, well, 12 seems a little bit young. Right. <laughs> I know. It's crazy, like, that my parents trusted me with that. You know, it was just a cool thing. You know, we grew up on the St. Mary's River um, in Sault Ste. Marie. So, like, we had a boat lift. The boat was literally right there, you know. So, I just put it in the water and go. Mm-hmm. Man, so. that's awesome. So, the the name of your company is Keunaw Fishing Charter Company? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I kind of went for the Google search engine optimization route. <laughs> <laughs> so, Smart. Yeah. Smart. So, I call it Keunaw Charters for short. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then the, the official name, Keweenaw Charter Fishing Company, mm-hmm. and uh, it just, yeah, it seemed fitting, you know? It's mm-hmm. like the Keweenaw is a very big area, but that's where I fish, so. Right, um, right. And you were, you were doing guides through the whole year, right? You mm-hmm. were doing yeah. ice fishing and all of that, right. too, right? Yeah, surprisingly, the ice oh. fishing is starting to become like a something people are very interested in. Yeah. Especially in the last year, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, what can we do in the winter up here? Right. I feel like ice fishing is one of those things that may seem really freaky to people if they've never done it before. So yeah. having someone just be like, hey, you can go on this ice. Let's check out like the thickness of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's good to have like gradual progression. Yeah, it's all that, right? I don't know. I could see how it'd be freaky. Yeah, have you been ice fishing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We used to do it downstate. 
Oh, on nice. the lake. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then Cody's family, they, they ice fish and stuff too, but yeah. I'm not an expert. <laughs> I've gone like maybe like six or seven times. Oh, yeah. So it's well, really fun. not a whole lot, but enough to be like, well, this is kind of fun. You get your mm -hmm. tent set up, you get some heat going, and just sit there, and you can look in your little hole <laughs> yeah. and just see if a right. fish swims by. Yeah, yeah. it is a lot different than going in a boat. I mean, it's, yeah, um, yeah like expectations-wise, it's not mm -hmm. as much about catching a fish as it right. is about... Getting outside on a winter day, right? You know, and just that whole experience of like very interesting equipment. You know, right. this big auger that goes on a drill, and <laughs> you know, how do you cut a hole through the ice? I mean, just people that have never done it come with these like ideas. You know, right. from like grumpy old men. <laughs> That's their idea of ice fishing, and then they see all this, you know, all these gadgets and random things. Yeah, the, the pole that pops up. Right. I don't know. There's probably a name for that. Yeah, tip-ups. Yeah. Tip-ups. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people love it. It's just, yeah, it's very different than what a lot, a lot of people think it is. Mm -hmm. So that's, they really enjoy that aspect. It's like the yeah. surprise of it. Yeah. I like the little fishing communities that pop up around here in the winter where, like, there's one that's near Chassel. You mm -hmm. look out on the water and you'll see, like, six or seven tents pop like near each other and there's like a little fishing village and then Keweenaw Bay has a little fishing village and yeah. it's, it feels cool. very cozy. Right. Yeah, it yeah. Is, it's cool. Yeah, I'm it sure is. it's not quote-unquote cozy out there but <laughs> when you drive by you're like that looks like a yeah. nice little community. Surprisingly it's not bad I mean you get your your heater going and the tent and yeah and you just kind of hunker down you know if it's nice out I prefer fishing outside if it's nice out mm -hmm. getting as much vitamin D as possible. Definitely right very important. Take it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't forget to take your vitamin D. Right. Yeah. We're big on that here. Yes. Yeah totally. Yeah yeah so when you're doing ice fishing, are you mostly on the big lake or do you do inland lakes or kind of both? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, so like, you know, usually the progression of ice fishing season starts in like December. Um, you know, so after everyone's done hunting and the inland lakes start freezing up. Mm -hmm. um, and in December you have ice on the inland lakes and there's not too much snow yet. So you can like get way back into the forest and go into these little, you know, 20 acre lakes and kind of uh, you know, fish for like bluegill and right. pike and <laughs> things like that. That's what I used to catch. You. Yeah, <laughs> <Spookle>. right. <laughs> Sunfish. And then, yeah, it's just kind of like a progression from that to most years. By like February, there's ice. You know, a mile or two out from shore on Lake Superior. So right. Then you kind of fish. I don't know. I, I like to fish the the bigger lake. You know, Lake Superior. Once there's ice there, but it's kind of a long waiting game. In some years, like the last several years, that uh, ice just has not come on Lake Superior mm -hmm. due to the crazy, you know, weather and like the wind and the warm, you know, mild winters. Right. Yeah, this was a pretty mild winter this year. It was a weird one. It was weird. Yeah. Yeah, it was it's, a strange one. It's been like long term. It's like trending. You know, like ice fishing is a rapidly changing thing because mm -hmm. the ice belt, what they call the ice belt, is sort of defined as like a latitude, I guess you could say, where everything north of that is frozen and everything south of that's not mm -hmm. that sort of demarcation line has been shifting you know further and further north mm -hmm. um just the way kind of things you know there's been a general warming especially in the midwest um right. where now places that you know you could ice fish as a kid maybe you haven't had ice there in like five years right you know weird yeah so, and you've seen that here have you seen definitely that a little bit? yeah because yeah, lake superior you know just takes so much cold to really freeze the, the big water right. and uh, now it's like way less common to to get that ice on Lake Superior whereas you know even when I started as a student up here um, I don't remember years where you couldn't go out there and see people miles and miles out 
Right. Wow. So that'd be crazy. Yeah. So it's, it seems like it's changing, but you know everything is kind of cyclical, and hopefully right. it kind of comes full, but you know, full back right. uh, around the other way. Right. So kind of like the water levels, where we're like seeing like really high water levels where there used to be beaches, like sandy beaches and mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey Kate. Hey. So we share a similar passion and, and you know what that is? Tell me. Eating food. That is one of my life passions. Me as well. And something that is interesting is the Portage Health Foundation has a food initiative. Oh, tell me about it. It has to do with two different things. So one part is aiming to improve access to locally, locally grown food. So that kind of fits in with like CSA stuff that we, we had talked that. about with Ashley Tenharmsel in our episode. Yeah. And then the other part, it provides educational resources and tools. So on the Porch Health Foundation website, they actually have this thing called Biblio Bistro and they talk about how to make certain foods. Their, oh. their latest one is minestrone. Oh. so. You're telling me if I get on the interwebs, yes, the interwebs, go to the website, I can find a video on how to make minestrone soup? Yes, yes you could. From local chef and food experts in the Keweenaw. That's so cool. Which is pretty sweet. So bringing it all back to this area and increasing food knowledge and access. Wow. And yeah. really pursuing my passion of, of eating. eating. Yes. So where would you say is one of your like most popular places that you tend to take people when you're on a charter? Yeah, well, that uh, that varies. So like I like to trailer my boat mm -hmm. and being up in the Keweenaw Peninsula, you know, you've got like the north shoreline mm -hmm. and you've got that southern sort of eastern shoreline. Mm -hmm. So depending on which way the wind's blowing, you can kind of come up with your game plan, you know, from one day to the next. So it's nice to have that option where, you know, within a half hour of say Houghton, you can go to either side of the peninsula. Right. Um, so typically we fish within like a, I don't know, maybe an hour radius of like Calumet where I'm actually located. Okay. Um, that includes Eagle Harbor, Copper Harbor, Lock LaBelle. Mm -hmm. And those are probably some of the, you know, the more scenic places to fish throughout the summer and right. offer really good fishing. Right. Um, but this time of year, a lot of the, you know, the southern bays, like Keweenaw Bay and Huron Bay, they tend to warm up quicker. Mm -hmm. So, you know, earlier in the season, you're fishing down in those areas is generally a little more productive. So right now we're fishing quite a bit in like Lance and Barriga, mm -hmm. um, down by Ontonagon. Yeah. And then, you know, as the season goes on, we tend to fish like further and further north of the peninsula. Right. Just waiting for the water to warm up. Yep. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you just kind of follow the fish, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Especially for a fishing charter. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which is nice because like that, that variety, it never gets old. Like you're not just fishing, right. you know, Barriga every day, you know. Yeah. Some people do, which is right. fine. But, you know, right. I like the variety of scenery, especially when you're out there as much as I am. You know, it's nice to constantly be seeing different places mm -hmm. and kind of what's going on there. Right. Yeah. Do you have any really good um, stories? Like what's your best <laughs> deadliest catch story? Oh, oh <laughs> like, man. Lake Superior. I feel like being on Lake Superior, yeah. you must have some sort of insane story. Oh. It's always hard to recall like one story that jumps out. Um, Was there like a, like an oh shit story where you're like, oh my gosh, you guys, I don't know about this. Like maybe we... <laughs> I don't know. There's probably a lot of those. Because <laughs> <laughs> Lake Superior um, shifts so quickly yeah, it does, with weather. Like, right? It's crazy. Yeah. I think like for me, when I'm taking clients out, 
I have a very, very like high level of you know caution, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm like taking people's lives into my hands. Right. So I tend to plan every trip like very conservatively with respect to the weather. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if there's like a weird weather shift or like a storm coming, mm-hmm. you know, there's oftentimes I'll just like cancel or reschedule the trip. Whereas if it's just my day off and I'm just, you know, recreationally going fishing, obviously yeah. probably like anyone, you tend to take a little more risk in your own personal uh, you know, hobbies than if you're bringing a group to do it. Right, so, right. Um, so, so probably about mo- personally, yeah. yeah, most when of my you stories, didn't have people on your boat, right? Is there anything that you're <laughs> yeah, like, not reflective of the charter, <laughs> yeah. so not reflective of the right. charter. No, that would be fair because, like, yeah, most I don't have a lot of crazy charter stories. Sure, we've had some some bumpy weather and stuff, but nothing mm-hmm. like crazy. But I can recall many different times and places on Lake Superior where you know I've gone out fishing just for fun and. You know, you, you kind of know the weather's a little marginal, but mm-hmm. you go anyways, and then all of a sudden you just get caught up in stuff. Um, probably the trip that I like to do myself, uh, just strictly for fun, mm-hmm. is going to Isle Royale. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we basically go to Eagle Harbor, and we go for a you know a 60-mile boat ride mm-hmm. across the wide open lake. And then you're there for a week with no, you know, no internet, so you can't right. check the weather, right. you know, and, and you kind of get like this kind of marginal forecast over like the, the marine radio uh-huh. and typically that forecast is like you know winds 10 to 20 miles an hour waves are a foot to three foot so it's like this very general forecast right. that applies <laughs> to a very large area so it's hard to plan you know for coming back so mm-hmm. that's probably been the most interesting like boat ride across lake superior mm-hmm. is uh you know going out to isle royal and trying to like plan for that good day to come back home right and you know you might go for a week and you you know you start watching the weather like halfway through that trip so that you can find a suitable you know time suitable, to come back. Yeah. yeah there's been some of those times where it's like you know a couple of labor days ago we went out for like a quick overnight trip mm-hmm. and uh, it was my wife and a couple of our friends another couple and like overnight the night before we were supposed to leave this crazy storm came up out of like the north side mm-hmm. so it was like 30 mile an hour winds and it was like huge, huge waves, you know, like I think they were somewhere around five to six foot overnight they built to. Oh and that was, as far as we were concerned, that was completely unexpected, you know, and, and that was like taking into account every forecast that we could. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't something that we really expected was going to happen. And uh, the next day, I remember like spending the entire day in Rock Harbor, just like watching the lake, waiting mm-hmm. for the weather to calm down. Wow. And uh, yeah, my wife, she she like literally hopped on the seaplane. She's like, I got to get back. And, you know, right. she, she had, you know, schedule things she had to you know, be here for. <laughs> and for us, it was like looking at the forecast that day was kind of, you know, pretty, pretty dicey. And then the next two or three days looked super bad, you know, like big, you know, five to seven foot waves where there's no way you'd cross the lake in a, a 20 foot boat and that type of stuff. Right. So we, yeah, we sat there almost the entire day, but at the very end of the day, there was like this little wind shift and the wind started blowing the opposite way of the waves. So it kind of spreads the swells out and it's more like an ocean swell versus, you know, if anyone's familiar with Lake Superior, um, the, the waves are very close together. So it's very choppy. So like a three foot wave on Lake Superior is like almost non-negotiable in a, a 20 foot boat. We had this little window where the wind switched and it spread the waves apart to like a five or six second period. So like every five or six seconds you go over a wave instead of every three. Right. And uh, yeah, we had a very bumpy boat ride home, but we made it, you know, on this like ocean swell. You'd go up uh, on top of a wave and you'd go down and you couldn't see land. I mean, it's just kind of a, oh. yeah. Interesting boat ride, but 
Yikes. I mean, it'd be interesting, but I'd also be like clenching the whole, you know, right. the whole time. <laughs> I'd be like, ah, I don't know about this, guys. Yeah. yeah. It's always, yeah, a little white knuckle, those types of things. But, you know, if you're out there a lot, you're going to run into situations like that. And I guess you just kind of have to be prepared and, you know, kind of open-minded to, you know, doing what you have to to stay safe, which maybe mm-hmm. sometimes means not going in the boat, just stay tied to a dock, you know? Right, so. right. So another part that is very interesting is that are you a captain of the Great Lakes Research Vessel? Yeah. So tell me more about that. I really don't know. I didn't go to tech like mm-hmm. both of you guys. Sure. <laughs> Kate also yeah. went to tech. Yeah. Um, I really don't know a whole lot about the Great Lakes Research Center in general, but I would, yeah, give a little, sure. little bit more background on that. That'd be cool. Yeah. So that was built the year I was a senior at tech. So like it was not really a thing. Um, that was 2011 and I remember them like pounding the big, uh, I beams into the lake bed to, to create this facility. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just remember sitting there all fall, you know, that fall semester listening to that thinking, man, I wish that was a thing before I graduated because oh, right. it just seemed really interesting. It would have been like perfect for yeah. what you're interested in. It, it would have. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, in 2012 they opened it and basically the whole premises was, it was like, um, you know, on campus there's like, there's labs and there's. Uh, lecture halls and then there's research centers mm-hmm. um, and this was just a research center which the main focus there is to um, you know to organize kind of interdisciplinary projects um, you know typically where you know a, a team of uh, researchers will collaborate you know maybe across like engineering departments and mm-hmm. sciences departments and because you have a larger team and you have different skill sets you can go after some of the the bigger more challenging funding opportunities sure. you know from you're you know, like grouping together your resources right. making it a little it's bit it's exactly doable. yeah yep. so you pool together all that that talent right um in hopes of solving bigger problems and getting you know better opportunities so basically you know the uh the whole center is set up with like offices with some very flexible like modular labs that can be configured to a certain project like say we um you know we'll apply for funding through you know maybe the the government or maybe through uh, industry partners Mm -hmm. or um you know competitive typically competitive funding opportunities and if we get that award, sometimes we'll reconfigure part of the building to, you know, to accommodate right. the specific needs of that project. Right. It's like an amphibious building. It can kind of be like Very much, yeah. moved into what you need at the time for the right. project. That's cool. So, huh. yeah, it's really a neat model. And it's not, yeah, it's not something I've come across in many other places. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, part of that, like you mentioned, is a, a research vessel or a couple of them, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and these... Uh, vessels are part of what they call the marine research assets um, and these are you know assets that can be leveraged to, to facilitate projects that you know require a boat or you know like uh, a weather buoy out in Lake Superior mm-hmm. or you know other specialized equipment that you know without it you couldn't really do that type of project right um, so so that's kind of the premises mm-hmm. and um, as yeah as I first got my foot in the door after graduating. I'd been working up here for a few years mm-hmm. and I just, you know, I was always curious about it. Right. Um, and I made a couple of connections there. And one day somebody told me, Hey, they're, uh, they might need a backup captain for the research <laughs> vessel. 
And uh, so I, yeah, I went down and chatted with them and kind of threw my hat in the ring. And there wasn't a lot of people standing there. Like, there's not a lot of captains that are just, you know, you know, around. And, Hanging out. Yeah, and right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was kind of like a natural fit. They said, yeah, well, sure, come on down. And, you know, I got to go out with the other captain and, you know, go on a bunch of different trips. That's sweet. Yeah. That's sweet. And, uh, yeah, and then they basically brought me on in that capacity for several years as like a kind of their second captain. Right. Um, and the types of trips like that we do on that boat would range everywhere from like outreach with, you know, K through 12 to mm-hmm. uh, projects funded by like NOAA, you know, that are very scientific oh. and, you know, require going 50 miles out into the lake and collecting data or water. Water samples or something. Yeah. So is that your main, one of your main like jobs now then? So you're now, are you with GS mm-hmm. Engineering still, or are you with the car? Like, yeah. How does that work? So I kind of transitioned. Yeah, I, I had an opportunity in 2018 to. Um, it basically, you know, as that center has grown and their their needs like for certain skill sets have grown, there was a position for a mechanical engineer mm-hmm. uh, with a marine background. <laughs> well, that's so perfect. <laughs> hey guys, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> So That's me. <laughs> it worked out. Yeah, it worked out really well because, you know, I had certain skill sets that they were looking for. I'd already been down there. So, you know, of course it was like, so a, I knew you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was still competitive. You know, they had to do interviews and you know whatnot, right. but, um, I had the opportunity to come on there, you know, in a part-time capacity and it was uh, like a half-time position, which it is still for me, mm-hmm. um, which works good with the other stuff I've got going on. Um, you know, that I can do that half time all year round, you know, it's very like steady, right. a lot of different projects that I work on. Mm-hmm. And then the other half of my time I can spend doing, uh, you know, the, the charter fishing. Right. And uh, I also have another small company that's kind of related to fishing yeah. um, that I started with a couple other guys that I used to work with. Mm-hmm. And we make uh, autopilots for fishing boats. That, so the little autopilot that goes on your electric trolling motor. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, you know, if you're fishing, you can use that to hold your spot without an anchor. Or you can like program route. So if you're trolling, you can program like, you know, 10 waypoints along a shoreline and it will automatically navigate you. So you don't have, you can actually focus on fishing. Yeah. You stole their tagline. That's exactly. Is that what it is? You can focus on fishing? fishing. Oh my gosh, Haley, you should go to marketing. What? We just That's perfect. That's that's a great tagline. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. Jeez, so. you guys, that's, you guys wow. did, your, did your research on that. Yeah. <laughs> your, uh, yeah, that's really awesome. It's good that you're only part-time. I feel like with all your side hustles, you yeah, got right. a full calendar. <laughs> right, yeah, you're yeah. so busy, but that's awesome. That's like, yeah. yeah, that's so cool. It's like such a cool combination of things that you mm-hmm. are doing. Oh, yeah, and that's like really for me, that's what I love about it all is like, you know, you're not just, yeah, not wearing one hat. It's a lot of hats to wear. Right. Um, sometimes it's a little crazy and, you know, probably a lot to manage, but other times it just right. uh, feels perfect, you know. Right. It sounds like they all complement each other really well, too, because if you're working on research, totally. then it helps with your fishing charter. Yeah, you right. understand where the fish are. And <laughs> totally. Then you understand the mechanical engineering side with mm-hmm. designing a software. Yep. So it's, wow. It's like the trifecta. Yeah. <laughs> it works. It's fun. I mean, yeah. and it, like you said, it's just, yeah, it's all complimentary and it all kind of complements my interest too. So that's, you know, for me, that was like probably, you know, probably whether it was officially stated or subconscious, that I guess mm-hmm. would have been my goal of like creating a kind of a career around my passions for, you know, fishing and, and mm-hmm. environmental concerns and, you know, the engineering, building stuff, making things. Yeah. Right kind of a dream to be able to take your passion and turn it into 
um, all those jobs like that. Not a lot of people can hack that, I feel like. So it's <laughs> yeah. cool. Right. Yeah. To talk to people who can. Right. Yeah, I think something that's cool, too, is it's sounds like it's definitely, like, taken time to find these different mm-hmm. things because, like, it started out in high school and that yeah. was, a, a, like, a fun job for you and then right. you went to school and then you got <laughs> mechanical engineering and then, yeah, it was, like, a gradual sure. progression because I feel like sometimes it's easy to see it and be like, oh, well, that just happened. Yeah, it makes sense, right? <laughs> right. There was never, I can't say there was ever a master plan where it's like, I'm going to do A, B, and C and, you know, that's going to be the thing. Yeah, it started out with A and, you know, then it's like, well, let's see how we can add in B. And right. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. I mean, it's been kind of like just dialing things in and it's taken a while. You know, I graduated in 2011, so it's been like a 10-year journey of getting all these different, you know, gears kind of meshing together. Right. What's the name of your um, company? It's called ProNav. ProNav. Pro-nav. Yeah. Okay. Can you find it on the internet? Yep. Okay. Pronavmarine.com. Shout it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, super easy. So, yeah, basically, if any fisherman's looking for, like, uh, just a simple autopilot, put it on their trolling motor, drives their boat for them, might be a good option. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so can, who are, focus on the fish. Focus yep. on the fish, everybody. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Man, that should be the name of the episode. It's just focus on fishing. Hey, there we go. There it is. There it is. Just take yeah. your tag on it. Perfect. That's all right. You know what? Bigger companies have done it since we have. So, yeah. Yeah. It's oh. funny. Like, we're this tiny little company, and uh, now we're like in this kind of. It's a big industry, but it's kind of small. And it's like, now we're interacting with these really giant like fishing companies Weird. and literally like anything we do marketing wise, they seem to just take it and run with it. So guys, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it means you're doing something right. You're doing right, something right. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's funny. Upside, I guess. So. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> but yeah, it's been good. Cause like, uh, I think we were talking a little bit, like as we sat down here, just how the last year or so in particular been like a crazy boom of people getting outside right. and uh for like both of those businesses it's just been like the craziest uh growth you know in the last year you know people are flocking to fishing and other mm-hmm. outdoor sports so right yeah so it's been a lot to manage uh, yeah. in that time frame in particular <laughs> yeah so you have a planner you write it down on a to-do mm. list <laughs> i i'm a huge fan of google calendars that's oh, uh same. <laughs> if it weren't for that yeah i wouldn't be able to keep the nuts and right. bolts on <laughs> so how did Pronav start, I guess. So you mm-hmm. said you founded it with a couple of your friends. Yeah. Was it just a problem that needed to be solved kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, it, it kind of was. Um, so I started it with two of my coworkers from GS Engineering. And um, the way it really started is like all of us, you know, we kind of go out fishing after work. And, uh, you know, when you're out fishing, you just kind of chit-chatting, killing time. And uh, one of the, you know, one of these ideas popped up, you know, one day we're out fishing. It's like, oh, why couldn't you just, you know, instead of going to Cabela's and buying like $10,000 of electronics to drive your boat in a straight line, mm-hmm. why isn't there something a little more, you know, practical? Right. You know, so it was kind of like the problem was really that not that the technology or the concept of what we're doing didn't exist, but making it more accessible mm-hmm. to like, you know, if you look in this area and people aren't typically driving around in like $100,000 boats. Yeah. yeah. So it was really kind of like problem solving from like, how could this same type of technology be uh, made in a different way that makes it more accessible to people mm-hmm. um, at a, you know, a more affordable price point without all the like complex integration requirements of buying like a certain motor and a certain uh, fish finder to talk to it. Um, and 
when we were kind of talking about that concept and that problem, you know, the solution that popped up to us was using your smartphone as like the display that does the mapping. Okay. Instead okay. of having to buy another unit. Right. So, so how does it work? So is it an app that you pop up then? Yep. Okay. So then when you're looking at the screen, so I'm picturing a lake. Mm -hmm. So let's say, I don't know, like it's the canal or something Not yeah. that you would, I mean, maybe you'd want to go fishing on sure. the canal. I don't totally. know. There's so many options. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so let's say you're doing the canal. You would look at on a map and it would be, was it, is it almost like dropping a pin kind of thing? Where it's exactly. Like, okay. Yeah. So it's like taking the GPS coordinate of the, that spot where you're like, I want to troll past here. Mm -hmm. Does it take into consideration depth of the water then? Or like if you yeah. get too close to the shoreline? Well, sort of, yeah. We've got like um, the contour maps, you know, so a lot of fishermen will like right. pull up the contour map and they can see where the, the shallow water and the, you know, deeper drop-offs are. Right. And then you just kind of lay your waypoints right on that map where you want your boat to go. Wow. And it will like, it will kind of control the motor, you know, steering and the, the speed of the motor right. uh, to, to follow at a certain speed. So like cruise control. Right. And then it compensates, you know, as the wind's blowing and your boat's getting pushed off that course, it will adjust the steering, you know, and wow. kind of continuously evaluate where you're right. at. So it actually is autopilot. I mean, yeah, so that is what totally. It is. It's like driverless boat. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> that's really, is there a speed limit that's can't go faster than this um, kind of thing? Well, so like I mean, our I application. I wouldn't want to like be in a boat like 50 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> putting the marks it's down. Hands right. Off. Woo! Oh yeah, you have to go rig some rods up in the meantime. Right. Yeah, <laughs> save um, so much time. <laughs> our application is kind of like limiting uh, the limiting factors that we go onto small electric engines with it. So, okay. you know, so like trolling motors. Trolling so motors. It yeah. Wouldn't be a speedboat. No. no. Yeah, like wide open throttle. You're getting like three miles an hour out of that thing. So. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> go so, crazy. Yeah. There's yeah. still like you know a certain amount of like you know use at your own risk disclaimer associated with it, but at right. the same time you know at that speed you know there's just nothing really happening too fast. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Slow down and enjoy the view, people. <laughs> right. So far, knock on wood, yeah, we haven't had any problems. You know, we've certainly had people like you know navigate into a shoreline or a stick or you know stuff like that, mm -hmm. but it's like pretty minor. But that could happen even if you were the one driving. Right. Home. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. looking for uh, somebody to blame their uh, stick hitting habits on. So. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That is true. So we're going out on the boat today. Yeah. Um. We're leaving from the south entry, mm -hmm. and then where are we going after that? Yeah, so we're going to go out in Keweenaw Bay, and um, this time of year, so we got kind of a cold, like call it maybe a cold front right now. Okay. Um, basically, we're just going to look for the warmest kind of water that we can find. Mm -hmm. uh, trout and salmon, they're cold-blooded fish, so, um, you know, this time of year, Lake Superior in the center is like 38 degrees. Okay. So we're looking for water that's kind of along the edges, you know, the short lines and mm -hmm. kind of river mouse and that sort of thing where it might be in the low 40s. Okay. And, uh, you know, ideally we'd have a nice sunny afternoon. Right. It's been a little gray. But, it might uh, pop out. It is supposed I to pop out. in Barragut <laughs> at 7 p.m. Yeah. It might pop out of the clouds. Maybe. So, oh, we could get a sunset maybe. maybe. Totally. Maybe. I'm hoping for the sunset. That would right? be awesome. So we're going to give that a whirl. You know, I think we do have a little bit of tough conditions, but... You know, even on a tough day, it's going to be fun. So, yeah. yeah. I have not done a lot of fishing in my life, so I'm pretty excited. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Never caught a fish. Oh, I never, never caught a fish. Well, the pressure is really so. on. No. <laughs> He's like, geez, no pressure, but this is a dream yeah. in the making, so oh don't write down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, we got our work cut out. We're going to make it happen. Yeah. So we're catching salmon, maybe. Well, 
We might. We really? might. We're not gonna. We're gonna, we're gonna put gonna it out in the world, and we're gonna hope for we're it. We're gonna put it out. <laughs> yeah. There. Manifest the salmon. So, salmon and lake trout. Is there's a yeah. There's a lot of so there's like eight different types of trout and salmon in Lake Superior, and pretty well you know when we're fishing, just about any one of those is fair game. And I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see? Okay, well, you probably didn't see this because you've never caught a fish. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. <laughs> Sorry, it's really funny. I don't know why. I didn't know that. You never yeah, I don't know. Fish. <laughs> now I'm embarrassed. I mean, it's not like yeah. I've ever caught like a huge fish either. I've caught like little babies, but I just never knew that. I have it's to funny. say, also, like, I know that the fish in Lake Superior <laughs> are not mm-hmm. this big, but very large fish scare me. Like, not a lot of things yeah. scare me, but tuna that are like oh, yeah. 1200 tuna. pounds <laughs> well, yeah. i can't imagine anything more terrifying right? than just a something that should be small like yeah. a goldfish and it's just ginormous oh yeah and that's crazy like lake superior's not that scary but this winter no, no. uh we went down to florida and caught like a six foot bull shark and it, it was like 150 pounds or something like that we didn't oh, you know we just cut the line when we got it and or yeah. pull, you know pop the hook out but so yeah there's some big stuff out there what i was gonna say was yeah, keep there is a sturgeon that they caught that oh, was like yeah. six feet long no and it was like 250 okay i probably got the number it was like gigantic and they had predicted that it was like 100 years old yeah and Ooh. was it like i think it was like here on I'll yeah, have to, you'll have to show me a picture. Yeah, there's a picture of the guy mm-hmm. like laying next to it. Mm-mm. Oh, <laughs> it's crazy. The thing was huge. Yeah, it was pretty huge. There are sturgeon up here. They don't get that big, but, you but know. those are the ones with the teeth. The Loch no, Ness Monster. No, those they're don't they're like a gentle giant. I mean, oh, they're like a. They're like, like catfish. They're like giant yeah. catfish. What's the one with the teeth? Kind of. A pike. Uh, yeah. Oh, a pike. Oh, yeah. okay. Less scary that it doesn't have teeth, but still hard enough for me. Pike are known for biting anybody, though. I mean, maybe. Yeah, they don't don't go out of their way to bite you. (laughs) If you're like, if they're protecting their like nest, is that a thing? Do they have Uh, nests? Some fish do. Yeah. They have their beds. What do they call them? I don't know. Yeah, fish make beds. Yeah. Fish beds. Yeah. Some some fish. You're working with some real experts. (laughs) Yeah. As you can tell, we Uh, know a lot about what we're doing. So good at fishing. We'll do some uh, fish biology today. Yeah, Yeah, so we're going to fish and we're going to learn. Right. It's going to be great. Yeah, that's that's fun. I mean, that is one thing I enjoy about, you know, taking people fishing Mm -hmm. is that for me, a lot of times people I take are not, you know, accomplished, experienced fishermen. (laughs) I I mean, you guys are like very typical of like the types of folks that I get to fish with. So um that's good yeah <laughs> so one thing is right make us feel a little better <laughs> <laughs> right so it totally uh yeah for me that's a fun part is like teaching and sharing the uh the whole kind of the experience and like why you know why stuff is the way it is and right you know yeah there's there's a lot to it so it can be very complicated and like overwhelming if you've never done it right but you know that's a great way to get started is to, to go with somebody and mm-hmm. you know whether it's a friend or a family member you know and like learn it in bite-sized pieces right right oh bite-sized yeah <laughs> <laughs> there we so go funny. right Too many puns. <laughs> oh, man yeah well, and if sweet. we're lucky we'll uh maybe we'll catch dinner Ooh, that'll be good yeah i have to fry it fry fish it's so good there we go all right shall we head out on the boat Let's hit it. Sounds like awesome. a plan. Well, thanks, thanks for, for talking. Do yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. It's fun chatting with you guys. Thank you for listening to the logbook. Special thanks to Travis White over at QAnon Charters and Jane Somerset for showing us around the lake.
If you're looking for a way to support the podcast and the QAnon logbook publication, consider donating to our website or visit our Instagram and Facebook pages. Proceeds go towards sharing the stories of the QAnon that would otherwise go unheard and unwritten. Until next time, we'll see you outside.